Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. Thank you for joining us again. We've got a fantastic podcast lined up today, very much a sixth month anniversary episode for on the IR35 changes last April and I'll be talking to our guest in a few moments time about everything that we're seeing in the market around IR35 right now. Before I, I turn to that, lots going on at the REC. You can see our campaigning about labour shortages and skill shortages in the press, obviously pushing towards government, but also pushing towards client businesses to help them understand the nature of this economy-wide shortage and the importance of uh, working closely with recruitment partners in terms of navigating a way through this. In terms of other REC activities, lots going on on the event side. Draw your particular attention to our event on the 27th of October when we're looking at recruitment and recruiters own teams, the talent we need in our industry to uh, to uh, thrive and to grow in the recovery. That'll be a fantastic session. And also our ongoing regional forums, the Midlands on uh, the 20th of October, Northern Ireland on the 21st. I do come along there to dig into the regional data, to meet colleagues and to chat about everything. And of course, those forums uh, still digital at the moment, still online, but looking forward to moving them all back to in-person at the beginning of 2022. So loads going on across the REC. Do get in touch with your account manager to catch up on everything and talk about uh, what matters to you and your business and how the REC can help. But for now, let's turn to that question of IR35. Well, let's turn to our guest for today's podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Seb Maley of Kudos Contractor to the podcast. Seb, thank you for joining us on the REC podcast. That's no problem, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Seb, before we start, why don't you say a little bit about Kudos and what you yourself do uh, and what the business does? Yeah, sure. So Kudos was originally founded back in the late 1980s as a tax consultancy. So it was founded by ex-revenue inspectors. Uh, over the course of the following few years, they uh, developed a, a specialism in status. We then had the introduction of the IR35 rules back in uh, in April 2000 originally. And that's something that we were heavily involved with. Um, I joined a business in 2003 and uh, started with a very small team focusing on status and, and contractors. Historically, because of where IR35 was positioned, our services were primarily positioned at contractors in terms of supporting them through uh, kind of IR35 related due diligence and uh, and then supporting them through investigations. Obviously, over time, there have been uh, numerous changes. We had the public sector change in 2017. We did a lot of work with public sector organisations and then more recently, we've had the private sector changes and uh, we've done a huge amount of work with private sector organisations who engage contractors and obviously the, uh, the the recruiters that support them as well. So uh, we currently now, it's a mixture of services for contractors, but also we do a, a huge amount of work for those that engage contractors as well in all forms of status. That's really clear and walk through everything that you're doing. And I suppose if there's a kind of putative theme song for this podcast, it might be Mark Morrison doing Return of the Mac, because on the pod earlier in the year, we we had a couple of really well listened to episodes talking about IR35 changes before they happened. And of course, as with any 
regulatory change there's a kind of a moment of panic and oh my goodness how are we going to do this how is the market going to reshape followed by a series of really big challenges followed by beginning to settle but some kind of consistent pain points perhaps which um, you know in preparation for this I had a chat to the to the team on the REC legal helpline about what they're seeing from REC members at the moment why don't we start by looking back at April what were the big trends that you saw in the run-up to April and the big focuses in April and then maybe how's that changed as we've come through the summer into September and things have have started to settle if that's the right term yeah I mean I suppose the interesting thing with the um, private sector reform was that we essentially had two run-ins because Obviously, the rules were originally intended to come in 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 April 2020. They were delayed at the 11th hour. But by that point, a lot of organisations had prepared in whichever way, you know, whether it was kind of risk averse or or the opposite. And then we had that kind of 12-month grace period, if you like, which I guess we hoped that organisations would use for sort of further preparation. But because of COVID and so on, we ended up again with, uh, with some who were very late to the party this year. So there was, uh, I guess, a lot of panic amongst uh, some organisations. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lack of consistency in approach from uh, from a lot of companies. We did see some businesses kind of softening their stance during that delay period. You know, I think um, a lot of the um, the stances were were very widely reported. We had some who took those kind of very risk averse blanket bands of personal service companies but then equally there were a lot of organizations who went the other way and were actually trying to do things pragmatically and responsibly and I think there were a lot of organizations who looked to their peers in that period of the delay and uh, perhaps softened their approach slightly. Well, so certainly we our experience actually yeah. just thinking about I remember doing videos for consumption by REC members but really for passing on to clients about actually if you read the legislation a blanket approach may carry some significant risks for you as an end client and I do think we saw maybe some perspective come into client responses you know one you know if I were being slightly snippy I'd say it would be nice if government had thought about what how it could use the delay as well some of the things we'll go on to talk about but uh, that sense of the double prep, I think, has helped and certainly in the feedback that we've had from our members has allowed more time for client education, which was a big part of this. Exactly. And that's certainly something that we were striving to do in that period of delay. I mean, it was just obviously unfortunate that um, the pandemic went on for longer than anybody expected, which meant that uh, for a lot of organisations, their focus was elsewhere for obvious reasons. But yeah, it, it did help. I think that the problem was pre kind of April 20, we heard these stories about some in kind of i guess the financial sector who are taking these kind of blanket uh, this blanket approach and it was it was dissimilar to the one that we saw in the public sector where we had vast swathes of contractors who were determined as being inside i35 whereas what we saw in the private sector was more of a i guess a, a policy stance of not engaging pscs at all and therefore kind of uh, circumventing legislation altogether but yeah, I mean, you know, prior to April 20, it was just the, the problem was there was the lack of visibility of those who were doing things positively. You know, you, you heard these these kind of negative stories about those who were taking these blanket approaches, but um, it was it was difficult for those positive stories to come to the surface. But we did see a bit more of that during that delay period. So I think that did that did help organisations to understand, you know, actually, there is a different way of doing things. There is a fair way of doing things. 
And I think certainly from a recruiter's point of view, that's what we also saw as well. So obviously we we work with a lot of a, a lot of agencies, and we see that as probably the best way of operating kind of a, a fair and uh, impartial I thirty five process is by involving all parties in the chain. And you know agencies are very key to that client education side. So yeah, I think uh, the delay did help. And then, as you as you mentioned, there's been a period post-April where, you know, things have settled down a little bit. And, and again, that's really when we've start to, started to see that competitive environment where organisations are almost using a positive I-35 approach to benefit them in many respects. So how's that shaping up then? Let's jump to, to September, October 2021. What are the big issues that are helping firms who get this IR35 approach right to be competitive in the market? Yeah, well, I mean, I, naturally, I guess there's a huge demand um, for skilled talent at the moment, which is really mm. kind of creating that that sort of competitive environment. Absolutely. And, and I think that visibility, you know, you, it just I guess it's very anecdotal. But if you go on LinkedIn, you can see that um, people make a huge deal about an outside I-35 role being offered. You know, it's uh, I, and I think contractors are, are having this sort of Damocles of I-35 hanging over them for 20 years. They're very au fait with the legislation as well. Mm. And they know they know how it should be done. And I think you're going to get that pressure from candidates as well to, you know, for, for organisations to do things right. But um, yeah, I think, you know, there is, I guess, a lot more sort of peer-to-peer kind of oversight between organisations now. And I think you can really start to see that. So in the last few months, in the last couple of months in particular, we've had a lot of organisations come to us who did perhaps take a bit of a risk-averse uh, approach at first, whether it was kind of that sort of blanket approach or it was using CEST which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, mm. but um, and they've started to see that actually they are at a disadvantage because they're not doing things in the way that their competitors are. And uh, I think that that's something that will continue over the next few months as well. Well, why don't we pick up on that? Because if I look at the feedback from the REC Legal Helpline, there's sort of two issues that are both linked and unlinked. One is how fit for purpose is assessed, and I'm really interested in your take on that. And then linked to that is, of course, the status determination done by the client, where I think a lot of agencies are still struggling to get an effective status determination done. So maybe just walk me through those two things in the kind of kudos view of that, because they seem to be the issues. I wouldn't say that there aren't other issues out there in the kind of IR35 world. I mean, we've, of course, seen the impacts, some of the impacts of IR35 in the driver shortage. But I think those two things are most consistent in what we're hearing at the REC. Yeah, CEST is something that has been spoken about a huge amount naturally over the last few years. It's taken a, a hell of a hammering. But I completely understand that it's going to be the default option for a lot of a lot of clients. It's a government tool. It's free. It, um, it supposedly carries this reassurance that uh, they will stand by the results, which is, in our view, certainly a bit of a red herring. And I think we're starting to see that, uh, you know, see that in the public sector recently. But again, I, I do appreciate that you know a lot of organisations will feel that they should use it because it is the government's view. There are various issues with it, naturally. And uh, as we've seen, there's been these cases of public sector organisations who have relied on CEST, who have now been picked up by HMRC. And I think um, one of the key issues with the tool is it doesn't really give a, a great deal for businesses to rely on. It doesn't provide much of an audit trail. There's a lot of grey areas that sit behind the questions. And I think, you know, one of the issues that the public sector has faced is that uh, the tool has been heavily reliant on 
substitution in particular. And that's something that's actually relatively easy for HMRC to pick apart by looking at the sort of semantics of framework contracts and so on. And uh, it's relatively easy for them to disprove something when it's it's entirely reliant on key area. But, you know, CES still prevails throughout a lot of the private sector. You can you can still see that a lot of organisations are are still using it. But actually, there are quite a few organisations who are using CES, but actually have started to implement their own kind of process, process and audit trail to sit behind that just for that additional reassurance. And I think that that probably comes particularly into focus where if you're an agency, you're dealing with a client who perhaps is relying on CEST, perhaps is still clinging to a blanket definition, or perhaps isn't, as I'm sorry to say is still the case, isn't willing to do a status determination at all. And certainly mm-hmm. we we have experience of RSC members who have had that problem, who've t- tried to outsource the status determination to the to the agency, which is, of course, a, a very dodgy ground for any client to put an agency onto. What's your advice for an agency in that in those kinds of situations in terms of how do you talk? You know, what are the conversations you need to have with with a client to get them on board with one doing a status determination effectively, but by effectively, I mean not just necessarily running it through CEST, actually following one of those more informed processes that you were just discussing. I think you know what we do benefit from now is that there are various case studies in the market which recruiters can and agencies can point to in terms of saying, well, look, this is how you know, this large organisation did things, and it's actually very you know a very straightforward process to use. And I think, but again. There are, unfortunately, a lot of companies who don't fully understand what their new obligations are. They don't fully understand the risks of not carrying out status determinations in the in, in the correct uh, in the correct manner. So there is still a big requirement for education. I mean, that's something that we will very commonly work alongside agencies to try and deliver to clients who uh, who perhaps aren't still fully aware of uh, of the ins and outs of uh, of the rules and the various processes that the rules entail but it is it is difficult and i think um you know one of the one of the problems with is35 and it's been the same thing over the years is there's a huge amount of misinformation about the legislation on the internet whenever you have a change in legislation then you have this explosion of kind of self-styled experts who perhaps have vested interests in some ways but um it is quite difficult to cut through that and i think from an agency's point of view it's always worth having somebody you know partnering up with somebody who has got the experience and can really kind of work in partnership with the agency to assist their customers. There's a bit of sure-footedness here that is required, isn't there? And that, that that's clearly the direction that you're heading in. And, you know, if I think about some of the more scary examples that I've heard from REC members, both coming from what clients have said about it or what from what contractors have said about, you know, you're going to pay me through this umbrella or I'm going to make a complaint to you about AES because I've read this uh, to, to, uh, to AES because I've read this about this on the internet there is so much ill-informed commentary out there i think that point's absolutely right all the more so when the case law is still developing and one of the things i'm trying to make sure the rec does is keep to a steady and well-based 
approach in the in the advice that we give to agencies about how to handle this, which means sometimes not telling members what they want to hear because what they want to hear might be what they want to hear today, but it's not in the long term interests of them or their businesses. And I know that's the the approach that you've taken at Kudos as well, but also because of course in the REC part of our job is not to be in the moment, but to be looking to the future. You know, very very much view our work now on things like status and IR35 and umbrellas as being kind of out in the jungle as the pathfinders for the industry, working on things like umbrella company regulation, where we're working with Bayes on drafts of the, the legislation at the moment, thinking about effective enforcement where Picking up on a comment I made earlier, one of the things that I think disappointed me personally most from the delay that we had was I felt that the delay was an opportunity to allow enforcement to catch up with the law in terms of making sure that the rules were clear, making sure that where they were broken, effective action was taken. And I'm I'm still concerned that there's a lot to come from government on that. Yeah. What are you what are you saying to clients about the path ahead in uh, kudos in terms of what, what happens next? Yeah, no, I completely agree with everything you said there, Neil. And I think that you know this is something we always strive to reinforce to clients is that whilst we have had this we had the sixth of April, that was this big change. In, in legislation, it's still developing, perhaps more than it ever has in terms of status in general and IR35 and, and how HMRC are going to police the rules. You know, we're starting to see that compliance activity happening now. But until we've really got a good view of that, that is going to define how, how advice should be provided over the course of the next few years. So it's it's always developing. Case law is something that there are so many status cases across both tax and employment rights, employment law at the moment, that it is always developing. And, and you know, you, this is, again, why we, why we reinforce the clients that you don't just do something on the 6th of April and forget about it. You know, it has to be continually monitored. You have to look to your advisors to provide that ongoing advice, you know, should, should anything change and, and things will change. So there's a, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns for us at the moment in terms of how HMRC are going to handle compliance activity. And I think everyone needs to be mindful of that. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of moving parts here, but if I were glass half full, as I always am, Seb, what I'd say is the nature of the market right now has kind of smoothed the transition because demand is so high. There are some things that we absolutely have to roll out. And I think particularly that thing about getting the status determination right, both getting the clients engaged with it and making sure that decisions that are made are appropriate and competitive. And then down the track, of course, is coming enforcement and getting that fair and even to get the the level playing field right is a big priority for the REC. If I'm kind of thinking about what you've said to listeners today, I think very clearly it's about making sure that you're getting quality advice, that you're not overreacting, but that the ways in which you're reacting are well-founded and that you are keeping up to date with the changing practice in terms of the emerging case law is that would that be a reasonable summary yeah absolutely neil yeah i think that's uh, that that's spot on i mean i think you know what we have seen over the last few months is that um, actually a lot of clients a lot of customers a lot of end clients have kind of embraced utilizing contractors and that's again something that's a real positive from the change i think in many ways the sort of pandemic has helped that to an extent in terms of changing that kind of way of working but yeah and i think that's that's something that's going to continue but yeah i think that's a, a very good summary if you give one piece of advice to an rec member dropping in on this what would it be i think continue to engage 
with your customers. Things are always changing. The competitive landscape is always changing. Case law is always changing. And there's always going to be opportunities there. So I think a lot of the end user organizations we deal with very much look to agencies to help them through that process and and, and to provide that sort of handholding and, uh, and to provide them with a route to that advice. So I, I think my main message would be to continue the engagement, continue the dialogue, because I think uh, it's a moving feast. And I think, uh, like I said, hopefully it's moving in the right direction. Well, I'm an old uh, employee relations professional and keep talking is always excellent advice. So, uh, Seb, thank you for joining us today on the pod. If people want to find out a bit more about Kudos, where can they look? We have a a lot of information on our website, which is kudoscommercialservices.com. We're always talking on LinkedIn. So if you just search for Kudos on LinkedIn, then you'll find us. But uh, obviously, always more than happy to have an informal initial conversation with uh, anyone who wants to find out more information. Fantastic. Thanks very much for joining us today, Seb. That's been a great look into where we are on IR35 as we run up to six months on from introduction. And uh, it's great to have been able to talk to you today. Yeah, likewise. Great to talk to you too, Neil. Well, thanks again to Seb for joining us for today's episode of the podcast as we look back six months on on the IR35 changes that were made back in April. I'm sure you'll agree, really insightful uh, discussion there. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, why not check out some of our other episodes? The last episode looking at the challenge of youth unemployment, fantastic discussion with uh, Michelle Meller of uh, Cummins Meller, uh, uh, one of our members, but also a member of the REC board, and uh, Laura J from Youth Employment UK exploring what the role of recruiters is in that challenge. Really interesting episode so why not check that out if you've enjoyed uh, this one and finally just to say thank you most of all to you for joining uh, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon. And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.